RetroSeasons.com for more sports history. Bob received many All-Star and World Series assignments during his illustrious career as a reward for being among the best of his time. Here he is at the All-Star game in 1935, and we follow up with an All-Star moment of 1938, a bizarre one featuring Leo DeRocher in Cincinnati. Let's listen first to Jimmy Fox at bat in the 1935 All-Star Game in Cleveland. A man on first with two outs. Walker draws his arms up in front of him. Watching the man on first base. Now he's ready. Here's the next pitch to Fox. It's outside. A fastball at the knee. Makes it ball two and strike one. Two and one. Pepper Martin third. Archie Vaughn short. Billy Herman second. Carry it first. That's the National League infield. Walker's getting his sign again. Here's the next pitch. It's a slow ball and a beauty. Gee, that was a nice one right in there. And the count is ball two and strike two. Walker threw a slow ball into Jimmy Fox. And it was a beauty. Just came in below the shoulders, right over the plate. It's a called strike and the count is two and two. Runner on first base is taking a short lead off. He's ready again. Here's the next pitch. It was a slow curve outside below the knee. And it's ball three. Makes it three and two now. Man on first with two out. Three and two on the batter. Now Gehrig will break for second base with the pitch. Three and two on the batter and two gone. Gehrig on first base. Watch him now. Walker's getting ready. He throws the ball over to first base trying to pick Gehrig off, but he's back in the bag safely. Who didn't have a very long lead off. And he just leaps back onto the bag. Walker pulls at the peak of his cap, gets ready out there again. He has a three and two count on Fox. Gehrig is edging off the bag. There he goes. Here's the pitch. And the back is McCormick went all the way around and scored. And the 
third baseman threw the ball past first base into right field. Before the ball was recovered, DeRocher was around the third. There was a wild throw to the plate that went up against the railing, and DeRocher scored. Now we'll have all the errors for you. In just a second, we have to wait to get it from the official score. We don't do any guessing on these broadcasts. Here's a right-hand hitter up, Mace Brown, and it's a curveball around his knees for a strike. The score is 4 to nothing now in favor of the National League. There'll be two errors on the play, that much is sure. Now to wind up in the next pitch. It's a slow curve, a little bit too close, the ball. National League leads in the last half of the seventh inning, 4 to nothing. That was a wild play there. American leaguers talk it up out there in the infield. Mace Brown, the pitcher, is up. There's a swing and a miss right around his knees. He swung hard and missed it. Everybody in the press box is waiting for word here from the official scorer. A sacrifice hit for the batter, DeRocher. An error for Fox and an error for DiMaggio. As we told you, there were two errors on the play. Strike three struck him out. A curveball right around his knees. He struck out. Mace Brown struck out. Fox gets an error for the throw to first. The ball hit against the railing and bounced into right field. DiMaggio made a bad throw to the plate, and he gets an error. So there's the play for you. A sacrifice for DeRocher. Two errors, and two runs are in. The score is 4 to nothing in favor of the National League. Here's Hackup, the leadoff man. One of the most infamous moments in not only World Series history, but in all of baseball history occurred in 1941 in Game 4 in the ninth inning at Brooklyn. At the mic, Bob Elson being assigned that position by the mutual broadcasting system. Let's listen to how he called the never-to-be-forgotten passed ball by Mickey Owen. Mr. Casey gets by Henrik. The ball game will be over, and the Dodgers will have even up the series at two games apiece. And for the fifth game of the World Series tomorrow in Gillette's broadcast. Be on the air tomorrow at 1.15 Eastern Standard Time. The game started later today because of Sunday. But tomorrow, Gillette will bring you the number five game of the World Series. Be on the air at 1.15 Eastern Standard Time. Well, here is Tommy Henrik up. There's two out. Two out in the first half of the ninth inning. Henrik has been up four times. Slide out first time, flight out the second time, hit with a pitch ball the third time, popped out the fourth time. Ball, it's high. Henrik has had two hits so far in the series. He's up in there, the first pitch wide. There's two out and nobody on. It's the ninth inning at Brooklyn. Pitcher's getting all set out there again. Watch it. Here it is. It's a strike. It's right across his knees. Boy, that was a beauty. Casey threw in a half-speed pitch that time. It was right in around his knees. And it's one and one. Casey starts his wind-up out there again. Here's the next pitch to Henrik, and it's a strike. It's perfect. Right across his knees, it's called. And ball one and strike two on Henrik. Casey, the man of the hour, pitching for Brooklyn in the ninth. The changing fortunes of baseball. Here he is out there again. The next pitch, he swings and just tops the ball and rolls it foul on the ground to the left of the plate. And it's ball one and strike two in the batter. Higby, French, Allen, and Casey went to the firing line for Brooklyn. Donald, Brewer, and Murphy went to the firing line for the Yankees. We saw seven pitchers in the ballgame. Two out here for the Yankees in the ninth inning. Here comes the next pitch. It's a ball wide. 
way outside. And it's ball two and strike two for Henry. Dodger outfield playing him straight away and plenty deep. Right fielder Walker is right out in front of that scoreboard. Ball two, strike two for Henry. Casey starting his windup again. Here comes the next pitch. It's a ball. It just missed the corner. Waist high. Not by more than an inch. Baby was that close. So again, we've come up to a 3-2 pitch. Two out in the ninth inning. Casey gets by Henrik. It's all over. Pitcher starting his windup out there again. He's all ready now. Watch it. Here it comes. He swung foul the ball. The ball gets away from the catcher, and Henrik goes to first. And now let's see whether the umpire is going to decide he fouled it or whether it was a clean strike. The umpire says that Henrik swung. It was a clean strike. The ball got away from the catcher, and so Henrik is entitled to first because he got there ahead of the throw. You never can tell on a swing like that whether it's a foul or not until the umpire rules on it. He swung at that pitch. He... He missed it cleanly and is on first base. It's an error for the catcher. Owen is charged with an error. The man on first base and brings up DiMaggio. Here's the pitch. It's wide and low for a ball. Joe DiMaggio batting. Man on first base. Fortune still smiling here in this ninth inning on the Yankees. After the first two men came up and went down, Henrich gets the first base on a last strike, which Owen missed. Owen is charged with an error, and the batter, Henrik, is on first. The Dodgers still led in this game, 3-2. to two. It's Tommy Henrik at first base, two outs, top half of the ninth inning. The next four batters in the Yankee lineup were Joe DiMaggio, Charlie King Kong Keller, Bill Dickey, and Joe Gordon, and they all batted. DiMaggio followed with a single. Keller shot the Yankees ahead with a two-run double, and after a walk to Bill Dickey, Joe Gordon quieted the Dodger faithful with another two-run double. Suddenly and shockingly, the Yankees led 7-4, to four, the score by which they won. So, a 7-4 to four victory by the Yankees gave them a 3-1 to one lead in the series, and they went on the next day to defeat the Dodgers by the score of 3-1 to one and win the series four games to one. What a development. What a memory that will always live in baseball history. Many Minoso hit a grand slam homer for the Chicago White Sox at Washington in the second inning of a game played on May 3rd, 1954. Here's Bob Elson to describe. And here's Bonanza. He walked the first time up. But you're getting all ready. McDermott. First pitch is a little bit too low for a ball. McDermott, the victim of high schoolish errors here. And that's the way Washington has been playing, I gather, from what the boys have been writing in the newspapers here that we've been reading since we got here. And they've just been throwing the ball all over the place. And they're certainly giving evidence of it here tonight. That's a ball that's outside for ball two. One run is scored. Bill Wilson is in. Bob Wilson's on third. Chico on second. Fox in first with one away. And the White Sox have a one-run lead. 
Here's McDermott getting ready again. Canozzo takes a ball. It's close above the knee. And here's the pitcher coming in and howling at the umpire now. McDermott is probably more upset by what the infielders have been doing behind him than he is by the umpire's call. And he, if he gets another one off the strike zone, he will force in a run. Three nothing count. There's the pitch to many. Strike call. At the end of three innings in the American League, Cleveland won, and Philadelphia nothing. Outfield is straight away, fairly deep. Right fielder Minosco in the batter's box, bases loaded. Sox are leading one to nothing in Washington. As he goes into the motion and fires, here's a foul that's up into the upper deck behind first, and it's another full count, three-two. game tomorrow night is going to be Porterfield, and in the final game Thursday afternoon, we are expecting Marrero. He was supposed to pitch against the Indians here last night, but they had a deluge here. Ball three and a strike two count on Minoso. He set the fire. Here's a swing and a long drive. Red back. Back, back. It's a grand slam home run. It's one. a grand slam home run. A Coca-Cola wallet and a case of Coca-Cola for Orestes Minoso, who just hit a home run with the bases loaded at Washington and the White Sox are leading five to nothing. Minoso hit one. It had to go 400 and 20 feet to get up in those stands, and he hit it way up in there for a grand slam homer at Washington. Oh, that was down close. October 2nd, 1954. Bob Elson hosts a post-game show after the World Series with guests Bertie Tebbets and Marty Marion. Let's listen. everywhere. This is Bob Elson again setting in for Bill Stern. Well, it's all over for the shouting, and the Giants are new world baseball champions. It's been a thrilling series, one that baseball will be talking about for a long time to come. And right now, we're going to get the professional opinions of managers Bertie Tevitt of the Cincinnati Red Legs and Marty Marion of the Chicago White Sox on how this year's series looks through the eyes of a big league manager. First, we want to send our good wishes and congratulations to Manager DeRocher and the New York Giants. And we've heard the jubilation in the Giants uh, clubhouse. Bertie, I'm wondering, and perhaps the fans are too, what the feeling must be like in the clubhouse of a loser that has just lost the World Series in four straight games. Well, I went through that in 1940. We didn't lose in four straight games, but it's, it's just a feeling of loneliness and frustration and... 
The feeling that uh, you'll do it next year, it's just something that's indescribable. It's a great letdown because the World Series is a great thrill. Barney, have you expressed that? Have you been on the, the losing team in the World Series? Yes, Bob, one time back in 1943 when the Yankees beat us. That was the only time. But it's just like Bertie says, it's a great letdown. Everybody's shaking hands with everybody and says, hello, boys, and goodbye this way, and I'll see you next spring. That's about it. Well, that's one thing about baseball, any sport. It's part of the game. There has to be a winner, and there has to be a loser. And to be a gracious loser is just as important as winning, as long as you're going to have to lose. Now, the Giants really won this uh, series, and they won it emphatically. Uh, Bertie, what did you think of the game today? Well, I thought it was quite a ball game from the point of view of excitement. And uh, uh, as I have said all the way along the line, uh, giant pitching staff will grind it out. They've got the starters. If they don't have the starters, they have the relievers. Uh, they still had Grissom left in that bullpen, Bob. A uh, little pitch, a uh, real good ball. And, of course, Antonelli coming in on the eighth and the ninth. And he got him out of there when it looked like uh, they might be able to, to break through. He did a great job. He just did the kind of a job he's been doing all year. Well, today, uh, with the score seven and nothing, Cleveland coming back and trying to make a bid. Game is certainly a little excitement to the series. Uh, Cleveland throughout the series just didn't halfway took. The Giants had a great series throughout the pitching. Their defense was great. Their hitting, their running, everything was great. The Giants had a great ball club and deserved to win. Uh, first, uh, what about the pitching of the New York Giants against? this Cleveland ball club in the entire series. Uh, they had something that I think stood out. Effectiveness of their right-hand pitchers against the Cleveland left-hand hitters. Well, it was the story of one man on the Cleveland ball club, Vic Woods, doing all the hitting, and uh, we know in the National League that Gomez with his screwball and Andinelli and Little can take care of the left-handed hitters, and I think that the failure of the right-handed hitters on the Cleveland ball club to get hot was the difference between the series. Uh, what are your plans now, Freddy? I'm going to take uh, my wife, and we're going away for a 10-day vacation trip, and I'm going back to work. Uh, what are your plans, Marty? Well, Bob, I'm going out to Oregon on a fishing trip for about two weeks. i uh, back to South Dakota for a little pheasant hunt, and then back home in York. Uh, would you like to just uh, say a word, Freddy, about this? Uh, it's almost hard to pick out one or two players, uh, because I think we're agreeing that this... Four game wins for the New York Giants was a team victory. Were there any three or four of the players with us you would, you would like to just comment on in, in closing? Well, I think Dustin Rhodes did a fabulous job, and I think that what we, maybe we're overlooking is the fact that Leo DeRozier took Dustin Rhodes for the spot that he needed him the most. As a matter of fact, he didn't use Rhodes today, which I thought was a very fine managerial. Uh, position to place himself in because if this game ever did get tied up, he always had roads for that hot spot. Uh, what about Cleveland, then, just in closing, uh, Marty? You're loyal to them. Yes, I was, but uh, I thought they could win. Bob, about the only bright spot that Cleveland had throughout the entire series was Vic Burch at first base. He did a terrific job, especially with his big bat. I'm sure that Lopez did the best that he could. The boy did the up this. Well, thank you both very, very much. And friends, that's it. My name is Bobo. It's been a real pleasure for Bill Stern on today's All-State Show. I don't believe that I have to tell you the quality of the last part of that interview by Bob Elson was somewhat less than perfect. However, 
It was requested by several of our Bob Elson fans, including his daughter, and so we left it on there especially for them. Let's move on now to August 11th, 1962 in Chicago. The White Sox are hosting Kansas City. Bob Elson and Milo Hamilton are on the mic. Let's listen to a small portion of this ball game and pay attention to Bob Elson's dialogue on Dizzy Dean. Stephen has it. He's going to flip to the pitcher. They get Fox on the play. Landis moves to third. Tenth man to bat of the inning. Cunningham doubled off Rocco. Back this fourth inning. He scored our first run. The tightest since then we've added five more and lead six to one. seems to be all right down there in the dugout. He has his glove ready to go up the steps and out when the inning is over. Before the way he was rolling and the way Fox, he had to get him to be quiet. I thought he was, might have really been hurt. There's a ball inside, and it's 2-0 to Cunningham. Landis with a short lead at third. Now he edges up the line as the left-hander starts his wind-up. And here's a pitch to Cunningham. There's a swing. There's a fly ball down the left side. It may go down into the corner. It is off the top of the fence. Here is Cunningham racing around second. Uh, he does that on purpose. I can remember one time when Judge Landis listened to him and 
they wanted to get put Dean on a World Series, and the judge's uh, quick answer was, there are too many ignorant kids in America already. But uh, I was listening this afternoon, and I listened to the whole game, nine innings, and I really got a kick out of him because in his way he's amusing, and he uh, adds a lot to the ball game, and while he uses all this sort of English, it's like as it's as different from, I think, our uh, English, as this Casey Stengel's English is. At Stengelese. Well, Dean's got a language all of his own, too. But I sometimes think that he does that on purpose. I've played... He and I were at the Palace together one time for a week, and we helped to kill Vaudeville. <laughs> I really, really had a picnic with this guy. Here is a swing and a fall. He's a real trump at cards, and his wife is watching all the time. When he's around anybody that has any sort of a uh, reputation as a card player, she really watches him like a hawk. She called us one time out in California playing up in Andy Lockjaw's room. Here's a swing and a ball. One up. We were at the Biltmore Hotel. We were out there in training one year. I was doing a cup game that time. feature another compatriot of Bob Elson in the booth Red Rush the date August 8th 1967 the White Sox are playing at Detroit let's tune in to the 10th inning the runners on at first and at second and that'll bring on the guy that sent this game into extra innings anyway Al Kaline flight to the wave here's the pitch to Kaline a swing up Come out to talk to Wilhelm again, and he's got 
problems here. There are runners at second and third. Now, Wilhelm stuff is a lot harder to hit with that jumping beam for these kind of hitters that try to slug that ball like Horton, but also a ball might escape, and that's what Eddie's talking out there now about Red, I'm sure. Fat off of Hoyt Wilhelm. Wilhelm working out of a stretch. Here comes the pitch, and it gets away from Martin. California Angels 5, the Chicago White Sox 4, October 1st, 1970, a 13-inning game in which the Angels came from behind in the bottom of the 13th to score twice and win 5-4. to four. Bob Elson and Red Rush were doing the broadcast back home to the White Sox fans from Anaheim Stadium. The significance? Obviously, Bob Elson had a lot of last games of the season. But this happened to be the last game he would ever do for his beloved Chicago White Sox. Let's listen to highlights, which include the final portion of the game. We're going into the ninth inning here, and the last chance for the White Sox, who are trailing three to nothing. The leadoff batter will be McKinney, then Morales, and then Brinkman. Eddie Fisher is on the mound. California 3, 10, and 2. The White Sox nothing, 5, and 3. So it is now or never in the final game of the year. Fisher set again. Swing and a high fly. Deep left field. This ball is really tagged. It's gone. A three-run Here is a high, long drive, and this ball is 
Chicago, 
on April 19, 1979, and Jack Buck took that opportunity to talk with Bob Elson. It's good to see you, Bob Elson. I feel well, it's mighty good to see you, Jack. I feel fine. It's nice to be out here at the ballpark again. That's where I started in 1930. And they had a great ball club here in those days. You remember the Stevenson years and Tyler and those kind of people. And when did you put it down after starting in those 19th Well, actually, from 1930 until almost uh, 1970. 40 years of baseball announcing from Bob Elson in a high caliber baseball announcing. He was, was and still is the toast of the town here in the Chicago city. Keith Hernandez leads it off, swings and fouls it out of play. He's quickly in the hole with a strike two count. People don't realize, uh, I'm sure they don't, you don't either. I really got started in St. Louis. Isn't that right? I won a radio announcer's contest. Here's a shot to short, a big hop to De Jesus. His throw is close, safe. He beat it out. Hernandez beat it out, and that causes the Cubs to argue. What well, that was a startling ball down there. I kind of think the umpire was right, but I don't think anybody expected him to make the call that he did. Do you want an announcing contest? Well, uh, I was visiting Willie Hoppy, and I was staying at the Chase Hotel, the world-famous billiard player, and they had a radio announcing contest, and I'd never been in a radio station in my life, but uh, station on top of the Chase. Uh, w oh, KWK, was it? KWK. I, I think it's Yes. Tom Convey was the owner of the station. I what station was. After two or three days uh, and all kinds of competition, including on the air and visiting prominent St. Louis people being judged by them, I won the contest, but I lived in Chicago and I had no intention of staying in St. Louis, so they gave it to the runner-up. Uh-huh. But uh, St. Louis has always been a favorite city of mine. Visiting with Bob Elson, Ted Simmons is at the plate. It's the ball hard and foul past first base to make the count one and one. Hernandez is on with a leadoff single here in the fourth. The Cardinals are trailing by the score of two to one. Bob Elson, you did both the Cubs and the White Sox. Yes, in 1930, uh, we had five stations all doing the same game. We did the Cubs at home and then the Sox at home. Five different broadcasters? Five different broadcasters, five different stations. I was on GN, Hal Cotton was on Q, Pat Flanagan was on BBM, Johnny O'Hara was on IND, and Jimmy Dudley was on WNR. There were no soap operas. The ladies had nothing to listen to. Hernandez <laughs> <laughs> takes the lead. Lamp brings it into Simmons and swinging a foul back. I guess you're all making a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, we weren't, and we didn't... Uh, we didn't make that much. We didn't have to pay the Cubs any rights fees, and we paid the White Sox $10,000. And that went on until, well, it went on for almost 13 years. No road games, all home games of both teams. Simmons waits for a 2-2 pitch from Lamp. Jumps back from ball three. Did you do the ticker tape games? Yes, I did the ticker tape games, and uh, that was work. You know, doing a doubleheader looking at the wall... Uh, and with that, with that crowd record going. <laughs> you had to have some imagination. Here is the pitch with the runner going. A swing and a high fly ball into left. Might be troublesome for Kingman. It's curving foul and it drops foul. Out of play. Still three and two on Keith Hernandez. Bob Elson, you won't mind if I say that I listened to you as a teenager in Cleveland. I listened to your broadcast, notably of the night games, of course. And then I listened to... Pittsburgh, and I'd listen to the Cleveland announcer, your old friend Jack Graney. Yeah. And I'd listen to baseball from Havana, Cuba. Ty Tyson used to pick him up. Ty Tyson in Detroit, and Harry Heilman, and Harry Heilman. My upbringing in the game of baseball. Well, that's nice. 
You don't mind my saying that. I'd like to think that your fine work that you do is a reflection on listening to me. And the bad work is not. <laughs> Three and two, the count is Simmons. Hernandez has singled to start here in the fourth inning. Cardinals trailing two to one. Hernandez leads away, runs, a swing and a high fly ball, and a short right hit by Simmons will be caught by Bobby Mercer. He comes in and has it for the out. Hernandez back to first. I'm starting to broadcast like you. That's, that's the way you used to do it. A high yes. fly ball to right. You know, uh, Jack, there's so many unpredictables in baseball this year that attendance-wise, I think baseball is going to break all records. It sure is a different game now in a lot of ways, isn't it? it is, and uh, there's no sense any place. Uh, I, I think Milwaukee's got a good shot to beat out the uh, New York Yankees, and the Dodgers are going to miss uh, Tommy John. Uh, they're no cinch anymore. There goes Hernandez again, a swing and another foul by Simmons, and the count remains three and two. What are your activities these days, Bob Elson? Well, I work for two companies. I'm sports director of Northwest Federal Savings and Loan here, and I work for a paper company, Acme Paper. So I'm busy, and I do a radio show, a half-hour show with a sports celebrity every Sunday, 11.30 to 12. And I do a lot of commercials for different companies, and I see as much baseball as I possibly can. How old are you now? 75. Yeah, that's great. You look, yeah. you look perky. Bob Elson is with us here in the booth. Hernandez is at first. Simmons at the plate. The runner not going, and another foul by Simmons. And the count stays the same. We have one out here, or nobody out here in the... Excuse me. There's one out, and the batter is Dane Orridge as Simmons is glide out. And Hernandez is still on at first base, and now a two-strike count on Orridge, who grounded out his first time up. Cubs got a run in the second. Cardinals tied it in the third. The Cubs have the lead right now. Orridge is in the hole. And Dennis Lance steps off the rubber, gets the sign again from Barry Foote. A lead by the runner, and the pitch is made, and it's a ball downstairs. Ball one, one and two. You've had a lot of fine young announcers work with you, Bob Elson. Yes, I have. Uh, one now with Pittsburgh, Milo Hamilton. Don Wells worked with me for many, many years. He did the California games for seven or eight years. They look to me like they could be a winner this year. California the addition ball. of Rod Carew... Uh, has added a great deal to that ball club. Uh, Carew is a good, in, good influence on average hitters, and uh, when they watch him and what he can do every day, he's got to make better ball players out of everybody on the team. I think that was a great investment uh, on the part of Gene Autry. Dane Orge is at the plate here as the Cardinals bat in the fourth. One on, one out. Lamp the right-hander pitches. The runner going. A swing and a foul by Orge. Did you ever write a book? No, but I've been thinking about it. I have a lot of wonderful pictures of old players that played here like Hack Wilson and Rick Stevenson, uh, who was one of the greatest right-hand hitters I ever saw. Roger Hornsby was here. He probably was the best right-hand hitter I ever saw. He hit over two to over 400 with a dead ball twice. And some great shots with Williams, probably the best left-hand hitter I ever saw. Here's another pitch with the runner going. A pitch outside the throw. He is safe. The ball goes into center field. Hernandez goes on to third base. He's there with a tying run with one man out and a 3-2 count on Orange right now. A stolen base for Hernandez. An error charge to the catcher. The runner is at third with one out. Are you high on that day in August in Cooperstown? No, I don't think so. I'm uh, really honored by it. I've spent my life in baseball. I owe a lot to baseball. Known all those greats from back, uh, Lou Gehrig and 
worked his way through Columbia washing dishes, one of the greatest players I ever saw. I introduced him to his wife. The motion picture, the Lou Gehrig story, is a fallacy. Here's the pitch swung on, hit the second, the runner trying to score, the throw home, he's safe! He beats the tag of Barry Putin, ties the game 2-2. Safe, all right. Put couldn't block the plate, and Hernandez got by him on the throw home from Sizemore. Orge is on a fielder's choice with a run batted in, the play went 4-2, and Hernandez slid around the tag to tie this game 2-2 in the fourth inning. Put jumping up and down, I don't know if he's angry at himself, Bob, or angry at the umpire. Well, I thought he was safe, and we have a very good look at it here in this uh, our position, in this booth. But the business of arguing in those close plays, that's part of the game. And the the manager, who's got the worst seat in the ballpark, Herman Franks, he can't see anything from that dugout. Uh, he comes out to argue, and that, uh, naturally, to back up his catcher. But the, uh, the runner looks safe to me. Herman Franks is out of the dugout to argue. Sizemore fielded the ground ball by Orge, threw home to the catcher, Barry Foote. Hernandez slid around him, got the plate, was called safe, and we have a tie game, 2-2 here in the fourth inning, and Tony Scott is I back. think the uh, mistake that Foote made there was uh, he was waiting for the runner to slide. Had he stepped up about a foot, he never would have gotten in there. He didn't knock him off the plate in all probability. The batter is Tony Scott. Tapped out his first time up. The pitch to Tony. Swung on. Hit up the middle. That's a base hit. For Scott, his 17th hit of the year. Center fielder fumbles the ball. But staying at second base is Dane Orch. Well, it was fun to uh, see Bob Elson here at the ballpark before the game. And knowing that he was going to Baseball's Hall of Fame in Cooperstown in August, I asked him to stop by and visit with us. And, Bob, I'll be thrilled for you. It's been a real pleasure. And I expect one of these days, uh, based on the fine work you've done over so many years, uh, that that honor will come to you. And I sincerely hope it does. Well, I, and I hope I'm around to see it. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Jack, very much. Right again, Bob Elson. Right again. Two Hall of Fame broadcasters, Jack Buck and Bob Elson, conversing in the Cardinal booth in 1979. We didn't have to bring you that entire interview. We could have cut it short after two or three minutes and given you just the flavor of Bob Elson talking again in 1979. But the conversation to us was a very interesting one and very revealing. Thus, we let you hear it all. Now, we're going to end as we all sit back and listen to Bob Elson just do some play-by-play. We're going back to June 1st, 1953. Sit back and enjoy as the White Sox are playing at New York. The right-hander, Yellow Blackwell. Big Paul Springbeam. When he left the gate out there, way out in right center, it looked a little bit like Kozaba, who was also a tall slender fellow, but it's Euro Blackwell who's coming in here and out of fire as Junior Stevens Fox has the bases loaded a hit would tie the score. Two out and the bases loaded in the ninth inning. This is a thriller again at New York with the White Sox battling these guys all the way down to the wire. Yankee is going out.
Joel Blackwell. Has appeared in five games. He started two. He has two wins and no losses. He's pitched 15 innings, given up six runs, four of them earned, 13 hits, has seven strikeouts, and has given up seven bases on board. Blackwell, former National Leaguer, star in the All-Star Game at Chicago a few years ago at Comiskey Park. Paul Springbean used to be with the Cincinnati Reds. He's getting in his practice throws. And Junior Stevens. Where's Junior? They're going to take him out now for a pinch hitter. Tommy Byrne is going to bat for Stevens against his old teammates, the Yankees. Tommy Byrne is coming up to bat now to swing for Stevens with the bases loaded and just a base hit will tie the score. but I'm burned. Series at Chicago against the Cubs, and probably is still going. 
He can hit that ball when he gets a hold of it. So it's come on Tommy now at Yankee Stadium. And Jewel Blackwell gets set again. Fight the curveball. Two and two. Ball two and strike two for Tommy Burns. Blackwell takes his cap off. Mops his forehead with his left sleeve. Getting ready as a 2-2 count on Byrne. The bases are loaded. There are two out here in the ninth. Here's a swing and there goes the drive. Way back. It's a home run. A grand slam. A white owl wallet. A box of white owl cigars. Tommy Byrne just hit a grand slam homer at New York. Carousel now to face Kozava. 
Kozaba has no wins or losses. He's appeared in three games as a call strike. He's pitched three innings and given up no runs to him. Periscale didn't like that. You wouldn't either unless you had a nine iron in your hand. Looks like it was going to hit him on the foot. He goes. Arguing now he's set. There's a strike in around the knee. That was a good one. Two strikes on Carrasco. Left-hander Bob Kozava. White Sox are leading five to three. Five runs, five hits, no errors. Three runs, nine hits, one error for New York. And that's a blast by Tommy Burns. Way back into the right field stand. The bases were loaded. Here's a swing and a miss. And a twisting curveball. And he stuck it up. That's five runs, five hits, no errors. The Yankees three runs, ten hits, and one error. The winning pitcher was Louie Aloma. And the loser, Vic Redd. So this is Bob Elson saying goodbye.